If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. We're going to pick up where we left off um, at the beginning of December in our study of the book of Genesis. And right now in the book of Genesis, we are still in the life of Joseph. The life of Joseph. Uh, the life of Joseph is a wonderful, wonderful section in the Word of God. And Joseph's life takes so many uh, turns, so many turns in Joseph's life. And, and I bet there's different aspects and elements about the life of Joseph that we all can relate to. If you know the story of Joseph, um, you know he is one of God's chosen instruments. He's a Messiah type, okay? He's a type of deliverer. He's a type of Christ, a type of Messiah, um, one who delivers and, and saves, okay? And, and um, we'll, we're going we're gonna to learn more about that later. We're not going to jump ahead. But um, there, it wasn't all, uh, you know, victory. It wasn't all um, flowers being presented. It wasn't all easy for Joseph um, and in the Bible, in his story, we know that Joseph experienced uh, a whole lot of trial, a whole lot of struggle. Um, Joseph uh, started out in chapter 37. I'm going to give us a little bit of a review. In chapter 37 of Genesis, the Bible starts off by saying how Joseph was um, one of his father's favorites. As a matter of fact, his father gave him a beautiful, beautiful coat, all right? Um, and many of us grew up calling it the coat of many colors. And then Pastor Manuel taught a tremendous lesson several weeks ago, and he described the coat of many colors as the coat of many parts. Um, and it was a very, very expensive coat that his father gave him. And so his brothers were somewhat... Um, jealous of the favor that Joseph had in his life. And so they schemed on Joseph. They set him up. They set a trap for him. They kidnapped him. And he was a teenager. They sold him into slavery. And they went back to his father and told his father, Father Jacob, that he had got killed by a wild beast, a wild animal. And they returned his coat to his father with uh, blood stains on it that were actually from an animal that they had killed. And his father Jacob lived his whole, the rest of the, the majority of his life believing that his son was dead. In other words, he was, he was a, a dead son to his father. Imagine the, the heartache and the pain that was caused to, um, to Jacob. Also, um, we, we read um, that Jacob, in, uh, later on in his, in his life, lost, uh, well, early on in his life, excuse me, lost his mother at a young age when she was giving birth to Joseph's um, baby brother. Uh, does anybody know Joseph's baby brother? Who was uh, Benjamin? J Benjamin and Joseph both shared the same father and mother, and Jacob had many other sons who make up the 12 tribes of, of Israel, or the 12 tribes of Jacob, but they were as different mothers. Um, Leah was one mother, and then both Leah and Rachel had 
um, maidservants that also gave uh, Jacob uh, sons and children for that matter. And that's how it was in those days. And then we move on to um, chapter 38 where we, we learn about Judah's um, indiscretion, right? And Judah was one of Joseph's brothers, one of his older brothers. Um, and we read, we read in, in uh, Genesis chapter 38 about how God took um, Judah down a path of making some very, very poor decisions. But in the end, Judah is able to redeem himself by the opportunities that the Lord continued to present to him. And for me, it reminded us of the things that God does in our lives to teach us the lessons that we all need to, to learn. Raise your hand if, if, if you have learned lessons from the Lord. Did they come easy? No. Some, we had to fall hard to learn a lesson. And then sometimes what the Lord does is he brings us along giving us opportunities to learn that lesson by presenting these opportunities to make changes and to do things differently until we, I get it, and I got it, right? And that's a, that's a great thing. Judah um, was very stubborn, very hard-headed, and made a, a series of poor decisions in his life. And the Bible uh, chronicles um, Judah's mistakes, his indiscretions, it also chronicles his, at times, good intentions that he had, yet his actions and his intentions didn't always align. Doesn't that remind you of the life of a believer? I learned um, from one of my professors in seminary. He said, you know, sometimes we judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. I want you to think about that for a moment if you don't get it right away. We judge others by their actions what they do and we judge ourselves by our intentions although our actions may be the same as the others that we're judging we say it may have been what I did but you know what I really meant was and we kind of let ourselves off the hook sometimes well Judah he had to learn and stay with his life on the anvil of faith in order for the Lord to work out some of those kinks to straighten him out just like the Lord straightens us out in our walk with him. And later on in the story of Judah, he is redeemed of God. Uh, praise God for that. Chapter 39 is the story of Joseph and Potiphar. Um, we know that Potiphar was one of the captains of the guard for, for uh, Pharaoh in Egypt. And he happened to be the person who purchased Joseph out of slavery. And he brought Joseph under his command and into his own household and into the, the affairs of Pharaoh after um, a degree, a couple of degrees of separation. Um, and he experienced some, some success, some wisdom, some learning there. But in the end, the Bible teaches us in Genesis chapter 39 that Potiphar's wife um, wanted to seduce Joseph. She calls him into the house, and she tries to caress him and woo him and flatter him and, and, and take him into her bed. And he says no. And he goes to run, and she grabs his cloak. And she gra as she grabs it, she screams. They come to her aid, and she says, oh, he tried to make sport of me, the Bible says. 
which means that he came to try and have his way with her, but we all know that this was not true. It was, it was her being embarrassed that she had been rejected. She had been rejected by Joseph, um, and he remained true blue um, to, to God and to do the right thing, um, not um, stepping into that, that, um, that other arena um, with Potiphar's wife. And so chapter 39 then brings us into chapter 40. Okay, so now Joseph was thrown into prison because of what Potiphar's wife said about him. So in other words, she lied about him. She accused him, all right, um, and because of Potiphar's status and because Potiphar, even if he had known that Joseph would have never touched his wife, he was not strong enough in the end to put his wife in her place and to speak up on behalf of Joseph because after all, he was a slave. And what would it look like if he believed the word of a slave and not the word of his wife? So he hid it and covered it up and threw Joseph into prison. And that's where we find this story. So if you're there with me in the word of God, I'll read out of the New International Version. And I'd like to entitle tonight's Bible study and lesson, A Man Governed by God's Promised Word and Not by His Situations. Um, in other words, um, this, man's, this man's emotions were not the thing that we allowed, that he allowed to dictate to him how he was going to live, um, how he was going to believe, but he was going to trust into the principles of what God has said. Can I say that again? Sometimes in life, the things that God has said about you when you were younger, we tend to forget them and we allow life to take us on a ride away from the promises of God. And we forget about what God has said about us. And we allow our circumstances, our situations to govern us, our emotions to govern us. We may, we may feel that we're in a situation for a long time. It may be a couple of years. It may, be, it may seem like eternity. It may seem like forever. It may be a, a really, really bad chapter of life. And sometimes we're tempted to leave the promised word of God. Sometimes we're tempted to walk away from our faith. Sometimes we're tempted to doubt. Sometimes we're tempted to allow our temporary circumstance or a temporary emotion. We give way to the emotion. And we do not allow the word of God to stand tall in our lives. But we're going to see how the life of Joseph might encourage us tonight. Amen. The life of Joseph was meant to encourage us and we're going we're gonna to see that in the word of God today. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we enter into this time of Bible study, asking that you'd open our minds, that you'd open our hearts, and that you would open our spiritual eyes, that we might see the wonders of your law. Father, we thank you for the life of Joseph. We ask, Father God, that we would be able to learn from it and that we would bring glory to your name 
because of the way we choose to preserve and protect our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Interesting. Mark that right there in your Bible, verse 4. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. And when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. But there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream, and he said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup back into his hand. This is what it means. Joseph said to him, the three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being thrown into a dungeon. And when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he put the cup into the Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Praise the Lord. Amen. What a tough break Joseph experiences again. A tough break. You know, when you and I decided to put our trust in Jesus... Nobody ever told us that 
having a life of faith um, would come with different types of struggles, trials, tribulations, difficulty, and challenges. For many of us, maybe especially if we're new in the faith, we may be experiencing some pretty amazing things, maybe even um, to a level of, of miraculous because God is in the, in the process of demonstrating his, 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 his faith to us and he's, he's bringing us to the point of understanding the, of the, the witness that he wants us to have in our faith. But it won't last forever, this feeling of a honeymoon, honeymoon stage and, and this walk with Jesus. There's going to come a time when the life circumstances are going to confront us and we're going to have to decide what we're going to do with those challenges. We're going to have to decide how we face the adversity and what we do with the adversity that we're experiencing. I'd like to tell a quick story about a man named Jackie Robinson. Does anybody know who Jackie Robinson is? Um, if you know a little bit about American sports, one of America's greatest pastimes is a sport called baseball. Um, and they call it the, the, the sport of summer. And in the sport of summer, um, baseball is, is this wonderful, wonderful thing that, that, that men go to the park to experience and enjoy with their children. Um, and it's been a tremendous, tremendous sport that was invented here in the, the northeastern part of the United States of America um, in the New York region. All right, It's where it was invented. But for the longest time, okay, baseball was a white sport. All right, It was a sport that did not allow for people of color to participate. And Jackie Robinson, on April 15th, 1947 was the first person of color, first African-American to play in the major leagues. And he played for the Brooklyn Dodgers first base. He's from Pasadena, California, played baseball, basketball, football, and track at UCLA. Can you believe that? Back in the day. He played in the Negro Leagues. As a developmental player. And he was so good that the word started to spread about this tremendous gift and this talent that this young man named Jackie Robinson had. But he knew it was not going to be easy, you guys, to break into the major leagues. Nobody wanted him in the big leagues. Nobody wanted to play with him. Nobody wanted to play against him. Owners didn't want him on their team. Until a man named Branch Rickey said, I'm going to do something about this and I'm going to change the game. And he vouched for Jackie Robinson. And let me give us a little bit of context. Jackie Robinson broke into the big leagues 21 years before the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King Jr. passed away April 4th, 1968. So that's 21 years later when MLK died and passed away. So give us a little bit of context that Jackie Robinson was playing in the big leagues before this tremendous movement that we've experienced and learned about in elementary school and reading in our books. Right, guys? 
So Jackie Robinson, when he broke into the big leagues, guess what? People called them names. They cussed at him. All right? They called him out of his name. They lied about him. They tried to get him out of the league. They treated him less than human. They spat on him. They would throw 90-mile-an-hour baseballs at his head, trying to take him out, trying to make life easy on Jackie. But did that stop Jackie from having the convictions that he was going to play in the major leagues? It did not. Somebody had to break the mold. Somebody had to be the person to withstand this kind of treatment, this type of adversity, overcome these kinds of challenges, and that was Jackie Robinson. It reminded me of Joseph's story. Because God allowed Joseph to remain in his right mind because he chose to listen to the voice of God instead of the voice of man or succumb to the treatment of fellow men. Now think about the things, you guys, that we see going on in the world all around us. We see it on the news. We see it on social media, all right? Um, we experience it in our own lives, right? That's what Joseph was up against. In my opinion, you guys, Joseph had every reason to curse God, to walk out on his faith. Every reason. Let's back up a little bit and let's look at his life. In chapter 37, Joseph stands up and he calls his brothers before him and tells them of a dream that he had. And what did they do? They hated him for it. They despised him because he stood up and shared with them the dream that God had given to him. They hated him for it. They kidnapped him and they sold him into slavery. Then he was thrown into prison because of false allegations. He was lied, lied on, you guys. This is the second time in his life that he had been rejected. Now let's, let's think about that for a moment. Would it, wouldn't it be pretty hard for any one of us had we experienced the kind of treatment? You were disowned by your brothers. Your parents thought you were dead. You were kidnapped. You were taken into a strange land. Talk about being lonely. Talk about feeling all alone. And then to think that if God is such a great God, why am I experiencing all of this tragedy, all of these terrible things? Why? God, if you're there, hello. Well, I guess you're not there, God. I guess I'm going to have to go through this terrible situation again. But no. What does Joseph do? He holds on to his faith. Joseph holds on to the promises of God in his life. He was preserved in the midst of public humiliation, being the victim of injustice, and being persecuted for being Watch this, just who he was. They hated him because of who he was. 
Interesting, isn't it? Sometimes people will hate you because of who you are. People will try to come after you because of who you are. Because of what you represent. Because of how you look. Because of what you do or how you do it. And there's going to be times in our lives when we will be tempted to let go and walk away. But let us allow the story of Joseph's life and the conviction that he had and the relationship that he had with God encourage us tonight. Amen? Turn with me to verse 4 of chapter 40. I want us to look at an aspect or an element of Joseph's life. That I thought it was very commendable. Verse 4 says. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph. And he attended them. Pause there for a moment. Here in in verse 4. This first sentence. While Joseph was in prison. Because everywhere that he went. The favor of God followed him. Scripture right here tells us. That. People were assigned to him in order that he ministered to them or served them or attended to their very needs, showing them the ropes. So he's in this prison, and now he's got to look after the baker and the cupbearer, two men who were high officials in Pharaoh's own house, in the king of Egypt's house, two people who represent both food and drink. In other words, these guys were the two last lines of defense when it came to protecting the very throne of Egypt, protecting the very life of Pharaoh, both the baker, making sure that somebody didn't poison the food, right, or the cupbearer. The cupbearer's role, you guys, was to make sure that nobody poisoned the drink. He would have to prepare the drink and make sure that it was tasted passing all of the protocols and as, as many hands as it was passed down, finally making its way to the king, demonstrating that whether it was the wine or the water, that it was okay for the, the king or the pharaoh to drink. Because there was always a threat that somebody would come in and try to kill off the person on the throne. So these were two very, very significant persons and roles in the life of Pharaoh and in the life of Egypt. And we see that both of these individuals were entrusted into the care of Joseph while he was in prison. Mind you, being in prison for something that he did not do. He was an innocent man living out this sentence. Basically a life sentence. Can you believe that? It's hard to believe, right? It's hard to believe that based on no evidence and just based on the, 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 the word of one person that Joseph would have to serve a life sentence in prison. And the one thing that I want to I highlight right here for us is this. Although Joseph had every excuse 
every reason in the book to live a life full of hatred, resentment, anger, rebellion, he still chose to care for others. He remained true to his very nature, the very nature that God had created in him. I love that about Joseph. I love the fact that Joseph sees these guys and looks out for them. Oh, wow, these are two persons of influence, two persons of, of significant meaning that are coming in here. And, ah, uh, man, he could have just treated them any way that he felt that he, he should or could. But no, he was entrusted this care to look after them. Let's continue. Verse 6. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. Verse 7. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, Why are your faces so sad Today, I want to talk about this a little bit more at length. The scripture says right here in verse 6, when Joseph came to them the next morning, my, my version, the NIV says, he saw that they were dejected. In the Hebrew, I read through the Hebrew today, and there's actually two words for look or see. And in Hebrew, it says, Joseph entered in the next morning. He looked, and he saw that. Okay? It says that he looked, and he saw that. The word for look is ra'ah. Okay? He looked with his physical eyes. And then he saw that. In other words, he perceived. He saw that. So it's, for me, it's a double emphatic communicating to us that there was something very, very significant about this man named Joseph and the anointing or the leadership that he had. Joseph didn't just come in, care for these guys, but he had this ability to come in and read the room. He had this ability to come in and see what was going on in people's lives based on their affect, based on their their facial expression, based on their body language, based on how they're dressing, based on how they're presenting themselves, based on how they get up in the morning and they're looking in the mirror and they're getting ready to go out and, and, and go into their day. Joseph had the ability to see what somebody is putting out there. He saw these two guys who had just woken up after having these two dreams. They're confused. They're trying to figure out what these dreams mean. One has a dream of, of three vines that are growing right, right in front of them. And there's, there's grapes that are hanging from the vines. In the dream, the grapes are taken. They're squished right into the cup of the Pharaoh. And the cup is passed back to Pharaoh. The other dream is of a man who is a baker, right? who has three baskets stacked on top of each other. One, two, three. And on the very top one, there's all kinds of bread products. He's at the panaderia. 
He's getting some pan dulce. How many of you still have some leftover pan dulce from the last couple of weeks? Must be pretty hard and crusty. And in doing so, he's all excited. He's like, wow, he got a favorable interpretation. He's like, interpret my dream too. He's like, oh, man, you should have never asked. Literally, you should have never asked. Your dream is, your dream is not as favorable as the cupbearer. The cupbearer, after all, was much like a confidant to the pharaoh. The pharaoh has to have somebody you can ask for advice and wisdom. And oftentimes it was the cupbearer. It's a person who was held in such a high esteem. Somebody you trusted with your, literally with your life. These two dudes must have really done something that upset the pharaoh, upset the king. And here they are, downcast, with long faces, probably didn't even want to eat. They pushed their, their bowl of whatever it was that they gave them to eat away and didn't want to eat. I love that about Joseph. I love that about Joseph, that he had the wherewithal, being in prison, being locked up, could allow his mind to go anywhere with no chance at parole, no chance at getting out. And he sees these guys. He says, guys, what's the matter? You guys know anybody like that? You know people who just have a gift of seeing what you're going through? They see what's going on. They see right through the facade. Or they could just see right with what we're showing them, our emotions on our sleeve. But they have the audacity to ask. They have the gift to be able to sit down and say, hey, what's wrong? I'll be honest, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really grow up in, um, in a household where emotional intelligence was, you know, something that um, we had a lot of. As a matter of fact, I grew up in a house, two parents who were raised in very, very, very um, hardworking, you know, family homes um, where scarcity was often um, the case, right? And my, my father's upbringing, my grandfather um, trusted on, in the Lord and the Mission Ebenezer and the churches that my grandfather had founded before that were always you know, 15 to 20 to 30 people. Tithes and offerings on a good week was like five, four or five bucks. And so my, my father and his siblings grew up um, poor, even though my grandfather was in ministry full time. My grandmother at, at one point said, well, I guess, Miguel, I'm going to go to work. And she started working at Harbor UCLA in the custodial crew. And this was way, way, way after she had raised the kids and she had gotten older and she says, I, I better go to work. And Papa, was, Papa was, was struggling, right? On my mom's side, they grew up in a, with a, in a family of six kids in Ohio during the steel boom. Where they were making cars, oldmobiles, left and right. My grandfather moved there from, from Boise, Idaho after my mom was born, picked up, moved the whole family there. My Aunt Candy was the, the only one out of the bunch that was born there in Ohio. And they were raised in a house of 
of scarcity, right? And so back in the old days, right, cultural norms, right, traditional homes, the man went to work, mother stayed home and was a, uh, a stay-at-home mom. She was a housemaker, right? She would raise the children. She would rear the kids. She'd, you'd make all three meals a day and send dad off to, to work with the lunch pail, right? And a little thermos with some, some coffee or some warm drink in there. And, and, and then pops came home tired, beat. And those are the cultural norms, um, you know, just a few decades ago. And we know that times are changing, huh? Especially in metropolitan areas and big cities where both husbands and wives have to work, and, right? And we've, we've come up with all different kinds of ways to try and make it work. Um, but all of that to say that, you know, sometimes uh, emotional intelligence is not something that people are gifted with. Something that has to be cultivated and nurtured. In Joseph's case, it was a gift that God had given to him. He had a, a spiritual gift of prophecy. He had a spiritual gift of, of dreams and dream interpretation, right? And I love Joseph's ability to see these men right there where they were in the middle of a prison and to see them. In our day and age, is it difficult for us to see people? Is it our desire to want to be seen? I believe it is. But we're going to have to work very, very hard and very diligently to make sure that we see one another. And that we make sure that others see us. And I'm, this is not a sermon about technology. This is not a sermon about all the distractions of the world. You know what we all need in order to allow the scriptures to teach us what Joseph knew to do. The ability to come in and to be present. The ability to come into a room and read the room and see what was going on in the faces and in the lives of those that were there in that place. That's pretty cool, right? That's a unique gift. Let's say you're, you're a boss. Sometimes you got to be cutthroat. Sometimes you got to be hard-nosed. Sometimes you, you know what you got to do, but there also comes a time when you need, you need to be able to see if there's a repeated pattern in somebody that you're working with and say, you know, something's not right. You see a change in somebody's demeanor. You see a change in somebody's attitude. You see somebody used to always come to work with makeup on. And all of a sudden, they're not coming, on, coming to work with makeup on anymore. You see, somebody that used to come full of joy, full of zest, excited about life, and all of a sudden, there's a change. You guys tracking with me? And the first place that we need to start is here in your own life. What's going on with, with the person in the mirror? What does God need to do in your life and in your heart? What's the attitude? What's... The, what's Let's do a heart check, right? And then in the lives of our families. So we're taking a little pause right now and doing a little practical application for, for ourselves. See, me and, um, 
in my family, we're going through a big transition right now, a big transitional moment and change. The boys are changing schools, and, and we've, been, we've been checking in on them and, and asking them, how you doing? Uh, that car ride was kind of quiet. Hey, baby, you, you know, what do you think? Is it, that one okay? I'm going to check in, okay? I'm going to take them, go get a little, little snack, have a little check-in time with them. I'm going I'm to go, I'm going to go take Lola for a little ride and, and take her to go kick the ball around a little bit. Looks like she's been acting out a little bit or lo- looking, for, looking for some kind of attention. Maybe she needs us to look her in the eye. Maybe she needs us to talk with her. Maybe she needs us to read the room. It was because of Joseph's relationship with the Lord that allowed him the ability to have this gift, this spiritual gift. And really, it's a people gift. It's a gift that a social, social spiritual gift that God gives us within the body of Christ to put it into practice and to apply the very things of Scripture that we're learning in order to bring glory to God. Amen? Watch this. Verse 7. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? He was very specific. Why are you sad? Is that hard for some of us to ask those kinds of questions? kind of hard sometimes, huh? Hey, what's the matter? Sometimes we don't even have the time to stop and make the time for others. But Joseph did. I love that about Joseph. It says a lot about him. And my last point is this. Chapter 40, verse 8. They say, we both had dreams. They answered, but there was no one to interpret them. And this is what Joseph responds. And this is, this is what gave me the key, you guys, to this whole passage. Every passage, every chapter, you guys, is going to have a key to it. And for me in chapter 40, this was one of the keys that I saw. He says this, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. In other words, yeah, I've been lied on. Yeah, I've been killed, been sold into slavery. I've been disowned by my brothers. I no longer exist to them. And then just when I thought the Lord had my back, I'm moving up in the ranks in Potiphar's house. I'm thrown into prison. I'm innocent. And now I'm living a life sentence for something that I didn't do. In spite of all of that, watch this, you guys. In spite of all of that, who does Joseph refer to right here in verse 8? God. God. Not woe is me. Not Well, sounds like tough luck. Oh, well, hopefully you'll get out of this place before me because I don't think anybody's coming for me. Nobody comes to visit me. No. 
despite all the things that Joseph had to face, despite all the things that were said about Joseph, he remained faithful to God. Even to the point of being able to minister to these two jokers in prison that must have done something. And he says, God can take care of your situation. God's got an answer. God's got an answer. So what does that tell us, you guys? It tells us that Joseph chose to hold on to the promises that God gave him when he was a child. God chose, excuse me, Joseph chose to hold on to the things that God showed him about himself many, many years ago and to remain steadfast in his faith, steadfast in the promises that God had for him, even though it seems that the majority of his life, the odds were stacked against him. You know, sometimes we go through some things and we, we feel that God's not there. We're experiencing trial after trial. But that's when our faith is tested. That's when the character of our faith, you guys, takes shape in our lives. It's at that point in a believer's life. When everything that you have heard, everything that you have learned, everything that you have read, everything that you have received, everything that you have believed, everything that you have trusted in, everything that you have built, everything that you have known holds you up. You guys, I got a friend back east who's going through a really, really difficult time right now. Close to 10 years ago, false allegations about him caused him his job, and he was blackballed in NCAA college baseball. His name dragged through the mud, lost his job, was out of the game for five years, couldn't find a job, and he was, had one of the best baseball jobs in the country. Then goes through a difficult time trying to rebuild his marriage. And now going through a terrible, terrible divorce and custody battle where more false allegations and lies are being said about him. He called me the other day on the phone. And he says, I can't believe it. I've never experienced so much evil, so much hatred, so much bad things and negativity. Why does it feel like Things keep going from bad to worse. Where is God in this, brother? If you only knew the thoughts that I had, I said, man, you have to turn and surrender all of those things over to the Lord. I said, you're going through a Joseph time in your life. You're going through a time in your life when you don't know when the Lord's going to turn this situation around, but you have to believe that God is going to and God will. God will deliver you. And he's not going to leave you there in the place that you're, in, that you're in. You have to trust and not 
abandon ship. You have to trust and not leave or walk out on your faith. You can't give way to the enemy. And right now his back is up against the wall. He's, he's in between, as they say, a rock and a hard place. How many of you have ever been at, in that situation? It's at that point where our faith matters the most, you guys. It's at that point in our lives where God makes us into who he wants us to be. And I can't get ahead of the story of Joseph. I, I wish I could just run on and tell you all the things about the life of Joseph that are about to take place. But I can't yet. But just trust. Just trust and know that even if God did not deliver Joseph, and even if he had met his demise, just like the disciples and the apostles who were martyred for their faith, you guys, our faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things unseen. We have to trust in God, and we have to put our faith in God to the point where our faith becomes our reality. Believing and trusting and surrendering all things unto God, knowing that he is sovereign, that he's a good God. He is a faithful God in spite of what Joseph was facing. What was the last verse of chapter 40 that we just read? What did it say about Joseph? He was forgotten about. He was forgotten about. Maybe you feel forgotten about today. Maybe you felt forgotten about in recent times. Maybe, maybe we've felt forgotten about in the past, and it's hurt, and we've dealt with different emotions, different things like anger, resentment, vengeful thoughts, thought, thoughts of evil. You guys, we have to allow the Spirit of Christ, we have to allow the Holy Spirit and invite him to enter into our lives and into, into our thoughts, enter into those moments and those situations and those circumstances so that the enemy will not be able to have way, have his way in our lives. And that's where Jesus gives us the victory. Even in our toughest moments, in our darkest hours, even in the dungeons of our lives. Our faith it's got to be kept intact. In we got to fight for that. Right, Brother Tony? We gotta, you got to fight for your relationships. You got to fight for your marriage. You got to fight against the attacks of the enemy, against those, those intrusive thoughts. The enemy wants to come in and wants to beat you down. He wants to beat me down. He wants to defeat me before I can even get going. Coach Elvis, you know. You cannot send a boxer into the ring if he is already defeated before he gets into the ring. He'll be destroyed. Our minds, our thoughts, our hearts, our lives, our spirits have to be in line with Christ. Because he has given us the spirit of a champion. You guys, you have, we have a champion spirit living in us. And guess what? With Joseph, we're right there with him. We're in the dungeon 
with him. Right now, I'm in the dungeon with my buddy back east. I'm in the dungeon with him. I'm in prayer with him. I'm praying that the, that, that the yoke will be broken. I'm praying that he does not give way to the attacks, the fiery darts and attacks of the enemy. I'm praying against it right now that the shield of God will quench those fiery darts, those fiery arrows. We have to pray and we have to believe with one another. We have to be in agreement with the body of Christ because the body of Christ is under attack. Your life is under attack. My life is under attack. The church is under attack. But we have to hold firm. We have to stand strong. And we have to fight. And we have to believe in the promises of God that he spoke over you before. We have to believe in the promises that he's speaking over our lives right now. That says you are worth it. You are precious in my sight. You are my son. You are my daughter whom I love. I died for you. You have value. You have worth. We believe that. And not the things of the world. Not the lies of the enemy. Because those things are only meant to, to come and destroy us. But we will not allow the enemy to prevail. We're going to remain strong like Joseph. Amen. Amen.